more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 15. The Fighter. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down and cut him till he cried out, in his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leaving. But the fighter still remains. The boxer, Simon and Garfunkel. I am just a poor boy, though my story's seldom told. I've squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. All lies and jest, still the man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. A long time ago, some guy named Walter Bradford Cannon wrote some stodgy book where he coined the phrase fight or flight reflex. Allegedly, Sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system reactions occur when an organism is faced with death. Cannon explained through thousands of super droll compound Latin-based words how and why it happens. To his credit, he bestowed us simple folk with a little poetic nugget easy to remember and grasp. Fight or flight. Basically, when facing death, a flight animal responds by moving away. A fighter moves forward. When framed this way, the idea assumes flesh and personality and ceases being just a biochemical reflex. We understand the nature of an animal and its character and can predict its response. Every animal at one time or another wants to quit, to flee from the threat, to cease the suffering. After all, pain and suffering are psychological and physiological discomforts designed to let us know surroundings and events are potentially harmful, and we should do something to stop it. Put your hand on a hot stove, leave it there, let it stew a bit. Lo and behold, assuming all your synapses are firing, your hand will address the issue in no uncertain terms. Pain and suffering are life-saving warning signs. Flight is easy. Flight is natural. Flight is safe. Flight keeps us alive. But one can't always flee. A fighter also feels pain and feels the urge to flee as every flight creature does. A fighter wants to flee. A fighter wants to quit. But a fighter can't. In spite of the threat, a compulsion drives a fighter to two options and two options only. Hold ground or advance. It isn't inspiration or the desire of will. It is simply his nature. A flight animal pulls his hand off the burner. A fighter destroys the stove. The vet said Honor can come home today. Missy radiated. She had visited Honor the day prior and hand walked him around the hospital grounds, 
allowing him access to sunshine and grass. He dragged his leg, but not his sorrow. A horse won't feel sorry for himself. Self-pity is a human invention. Good. Tell him not to bleed out this time? We're out of flour. He's not going to. He'll be fine. Layers of confidence coated her words. You're gonna drug sugar, right? Yep. I'm gonna trank the shit out of her. And honor? No. I've got a hunch he'll be just fine. She waved her hand in rebuttal. Hunches and hopes. Like betting on a three-legged racehorse. Seriously, he'll be fine. Just do me a favor and have the barn open and ready when I get back. I put four shaving bags in his stall, dump them out, and spread them around. She started back toward the door. Four? I feel like four might be a little excessive. I thought you'd do two per stall. She turned her head back over her shoulder toward me, but looked at the carpet. I knew she had no rational answer, and I knew why. Despite her lack of reason, it made me smile. Why shouldn't he have four? Four is twice as good as two. For it is. I followed her out to the barn where she grabbed the sugar be good pokers and emptied out four 40-pound bags of shaving into a 15 by 10 stall. I stared at her from the middle of the stall, knee-deep in shavings. I said nothing. I just stared. What? She giggled through her glasses, a junkie's Ziploc bag in her hand. I raised my right eyebrow and looked to the floor, silent. He'll like it. Missy returned home a couple hours later and drove straight through the backyard that I had just mowed and that I had just repaired the divots from the weekend prior. They say marriage is about choosing your battles. By coming in the backyard, though, she didn't have to deal with sugar in the side paddock. Of course, sugar, now the town drunk, swayed back and forth, communing with the breeze. I opened the backyard gate and followed the truck and trailer up to the barn gate. A bouncy blonde plopped out of the cab and onto the ground, a grin splitting her face. This is what happens when little girls grow up wanting ponies and then stop growing up. He's a super happy guy today, she explained once she realized how obvious her expression was. Clearly he isn't alone. The trailer ritual progressed much calmer than the last, and a relaxed honor backed off the trailer, limp leg and toe. We escorted him into the barn as his first visitor peeked in the barn door. Ned, the wandering sage, watched from a distance as we coaxed a three-legged, albeit upright, horse into the barn. Once into the stall, Honor squirmed his nose through the shavings, splashing them like he does water in the trough. See? She was all giggles. He likes it. Missy pulled a couple sheets of paper from her back pocket. They were printed instructions on how to care for his wound, as well as warning signs and other things to look for. Above all, the vet urged that Honor be stall-ridden for a minimum of a week, followed by several weeks of hand-walking, pending the speed of the healing process. Missy demonstrated the disgusting process of cleaning the wound and how to fill the big syringe with its medical concoction. She filled the tube with some maple syrup-colored fluid, jabbed it deep into his chest, and jettisoned its contents. The odd part? Honor let her. As quickly as it shot into the wound, it flowed out onto the shavings. Two questions. Yeah? How does it work if it all just drips out? And two, doesn't that hurt like hell? 
It's just to keep bacteria from growing. Keep it clean of infection. As for pain, your horse has a baseball-sized hole in his chest. Pain is pretty much irrelevant at this point. Touché. Still, I watched on, curious. Honor stood patient, quiet, and trusting, as Missy caused him more pain for his own good. He watched her movements with curious eyes, the same soft eyes that snorted at the little girl from behind an auction house fence. I wondered if the pain of the treatment reminded him of the injury. I always hated being reminded. A tall shadow in the barn doorway caught my attention. Ned ambled his way in to watch from a tactful distance. He lingered calm and concerned, but made no motion to interfere. Ned's enigmatic wisdom always seemed to understand but never bothered to explain. He looked on as Missy continued her lesson, cleaning and explaining all the nuanced vet directions. Ned shook off a fly from his ears, and as quiet as he came, he walked away. Missy went on to hash out Honor's new grain equation, speaking in incoherent horse talk about this bottle of orange goop, these gray pellet things, that white powder stuff, and how 33 64ths is too much, and make sure we measure exactly one half cup of oozy stuff from the green plastic squeezy thing. I nodded a lot, as much as she talked, waiting for the punchline. Don't worry, I'll write all this down and hang it on the fridge. There it is. Okay, got it. Of course, I had nothing, but Missy's two-page monologue feeding instructions were manuals I used with more regularity than my toothbrush. So what now? Do we just leave him here in a well-padded stall? Yes. He needs to rest and not to be trying to walk around. Just seems... depressing. Well, I can't imagine he'd really want to be walking around anyway. I would. Missy's expression tightened, confused, and then eased into a smile. Why? Because someone was locking me up, telling me I couldn't. Because my leg wasn't working. If I were him, I don't know. I think I'd hobble around the paddock on three legs just out of spite. Just because I could. And you were concerned me putting betadine in his wound was painful? I scowled. It's not about the pain. I'm just saying, if I were him, knowing that life had left me with three legs, I'd hop around like a kangaroo on crack. Why? I don't know. It's just what I would do. The last place I'd want to be is locked in a pen. It's like, I don't know, layered claustrophobia of purpose. But instead of fear, it just makes you boil. If I were him, I'd go mad about not being able to do at least what I was able to do. And that's the only thing I would want to do. If someone cut off my leg, the first thing I'd do is look for a mountain to climb. I didn't realize it was so personal. He'll be fine. It's only for a week or so, and then we can start hand-walking him around. If it means that much to you, then you can be the one to do it. Fair enough. I maintained my seriousness. Out of curiosity, why does it bother you so much? It doesn't bother me. I understand. I pointed at Honor, who listened to our conversation with perked ears. He doesn't. If it makes you feel any better, next week would have been the start of his training, and this is where he would have been every minute, every day, that he wasn't actually on the track. In a stall smaller than this. Missy was right. My feelings still smoldered. He's gonna run. I said in a firm whisper, deliberately loud enough to be heard. Ha! What? Babe, I know how you feel, and I love you for it. I love that you want to see Honor put back together. 
I get what you want for him, but- What I want is irrelevant. I wasn't saying it out of optimism. She tensed as her lighthearted humor shrank. Then how were you saying it? As a pilot without wings, I walked away. I closed the back door behind me, sat in the chair, and reached into my bathrobe to pull out a cigarette. The dew burned away as the sun rose to my left. I lit the end and looked out to the barn. I squinted and then raised an eyebrow. I stood up on stiff legs and moseyed back to the door. I cracked it just wide enough for my words to carry into the house. Babe. Babe. Come here. Missy walked out from the office and through the living room to the back door. What is it? Did you leave the barn door open last night? Oh, yeah. I figured after what you said, Honor might appreciate having a fresh breeze blow through, and at least let him feel some sort of free. I get that much, but did you forget to put the cross rail up? In order to keep the horses out of the barn while the doors were open, a long 2x4 beam was affixed across the opening, like a medieval drawbridge lock. No, I put the beams up. Missy's confusion brought her outside onto the back porch. She squinted too, and then raised an eyebrow. What the hell? In the shade of the barn, a football field away, a stocky, walnut-colored quarter horse stood adjacent to a quiet and calm thoroughbred. Neither made any movements, and both dark horses were barely visible in the barn shadows. That's weird. She started to walk out to the barn. She shooed a lumbering Ned out of the barn and replaced the beam. Missy made it back to the patio when Ned returned from the side of the barn. Casually, he gripped the beam in his chompers, lifted it off the guides, and dropped it onto the dirt floor. He paused, emphasizing his insubordination, and stepped over the wooden beam to stand next to Honor. Son of a bitch! She cursed at me with an amazed smile. She spun an about face and walked back out to the barn, repeating the process. This time, though, Missy tied the beam to the guides with wraps of baling twine. Back to the porch walked Missy. Back to the barn door walked Ned. I pulled a drag from my cigarette and then pointed over her shoulder back to the barn. Ned buried his hulking chest against the beam. His feet fidgeted as his weight shifted to and fro. Missy and I said nothing, but watched in amusement. Ned's angry ears pinned as his feet picked up their dancing pace. His head bobbed in rarely witnessed frustration. Ned pushed, leaned, shifted, pushed, shifted, and leaned, his head lowered just on the other side of the rail, his neck arching downward like a Budweiser Clydesdale. Ten bucks says he does it, I said without pulling my eyes away. You're on. Pine two-by-fours screeched, wrenching eight six-inch nails free from their tenacious grip on the barn studs. Ned urged his chest against the beam, ears flat against his neck. He raged with cavernous nostrils, muscles swollen and focused. A sharp crack signaled six construction-grade nails relinquishing their hold. The guides meant to keep the beam in place gave up before the board did. The clanking of wood crashing flat against the ground rang out across the property. Ned regained his composure and with an exasperated sigh, craned his neck to the side to look back at us, and then walked over the wooden beam. The Ned statue went back to doing what a Ned statue does. Pay up, I said through smoky exhale. Unreal. That's some crap. Missy scoffed as she walked back out to the barn for a third time. 
For the next hour, hostile banging echoed from the barn. Missy hammered nail after nail after nail, not only fixing the guides, but reinforcing them twice over. The hammering stopped. A booming woman's voice cried out, Go on! Get out of here! Out from the shadows and into the sunlight burst an agitated quarter horse, followed by an equally agitated young woman. Missy rehung the board for the third time and again tied it in place with twine. She dared Ned with folded arms. Come on, do it! Try it again, asshole! Ned stood curious and patient, attempting to decipher her words. With a frustrated groan, my sweating wife marched back to the porch as Will and I watched on amused. You two are a lot of help. We didn't want to help. What? Why not? She was angry. Look. I nodded and pointed back out to the barn. Missy rolled her eyes as she turned around, certain she would see Ned bearing down on the whole north wall of the barn. Instead, what she saw wiped the anger from her face. Ned stood in the doorway, neck stretched toward Honor, reassuring him, with Honor returning the favor. Ned never again attempted to break through the beam, but Ned also never left that spot. The compromise? We never asked him to move. The feeding and treatment came easier than I expected. Missy's dictatorial training over the previous months, imposing graduate-level mathematics on her layman husband, prepared me for the hour-long or longer process. But the chores ceased feeling so chorish. There's something about nurturing a broken horse that lightens buckets, takes the smell out of the muck, and makes the disgusting palatable. Tending to honor started being a responsibility, and not one out of obligation, but rather out of compassion. Missy was right in her assertion that I did want to see him put back together. I wanted to see him whole. Yet, beyond that selfish desire, I wanted him comfortable and happy. 33 sixty-fourths of a cup of the green goopy stuff meant 33 sixty-fourths, damn it. And as repulsive as cleaning the wound was, I swear not a single microbe found its way in. The cleanest spot in that barn was the hole in Honor's chest. For the most part, Missy handled the duties of tending to Honor, as she specialized, obviously, with quantifiable talent. But unlike before, no honor chore went unfilled, incomplete, or forgotten. I knew a father who once chided his son for sneaking a puppy into the house and neglecting it. Then I met a horse. I wasn't a horse person. A week passed, and honor's wound dripped with a putrid mixture of pus, blood, and betadine. The swelling abated to reveal a deflated, lopsided pectoral muscle. However, the wound itself, the drooping flap of skin, the fist-sized maw, vanished before our eyes. The speed at which Honor's mutilated chest healed bordered on freakish. Honor's chest was also not the only thing healing. As Honor's physical strength returned, so too did his desire to employ it. Ned's calming presence sated Honor's yearning for motion and company for a week. But even stoic Ned could not quell the thoroughbred once the wound began to seal. On one good front leg, Honor bounced in place in the stall, rearing with boredom. Missy called them mini-bucks. I just called them temper tantrums. 
Honor pogoed back and forth like a spinning teeter-totter that amounted to little more than a spastic horse unable to make up his mind. Guess it's about time to walk him, huh? We stood in the backyard, peering over Ned's shoulder into the barn. Or we could just let him break his own way out. But why would you want to interrupt him? He's adorable. His chest isn't rotting, but his mind sure is. He's pissed. And he's only got three good legs to kick with. Let the poor kid stretch the good ones he has. I pleaded on his behalf. Why don't you? He's your horse. Missy smirked over the top of her glasses. Fine. Put a halter on him for me. Why can't you? I glared. <laughs> That's real cute. Real cute. She returned a smile and acquiesced. She strapped on his halter while I went about untying the two gigantic bailing twine knots I swore were tied by an enterprising eight-year-old. I removed the board and pushed the Ned statue out of the way. Ned's disappearance from Honor's line of sight lit Honor's eyes afire. His nostrils flared and his head shot full mast. His cranium top radar swished, listening for Ned frequencies in all directions. Missy stepped into the stall and latched the lead rope to his halter. She extended the rope toward me. Here's your dragon. Walk him. I clutched a grip on the lead, knowing the hydrogen bomb fixed to the other end. I looked at Honor's wound as he strained his neck to the side to see out of the barn. Three of his legs bore weight. The fourth still dangled from the left side of his sunken chest. I squeezed my jaws. I squeezed the rope tighter. Let's go, you big galoot. This is where we start. Walk. Honor shifted his attention from the door to me and perked at the sound of my voice. His dragon persona tucked its wings. Honor inspected the ground in front of him, calculating how to begin walking. He had foamed with energy just minutes before, playing as his clumsy body in confined space would allow. Now faced with an opportunity to do so, Honor shied. He snorted the alien ground outside the stall and pushed his dead leg forward. He limped out of the barn and into the sun. Ned stood to his right, startling Honor. They nuzzled each other like a handshake, and Honor's attention turned to the grass in front of us. We gimped our way into the middle paddock. Sugar whinnied from the side paddock. Honor called back, reporting in that all was well. Honor nosed the late spring Bermuda with wiggling lips and then tore a mammoth chunk up from the earth. He chomped on a gargantuan bite that wouldn't fit in his mouth. May I forever be as happy as Honor when biting off more than I can chew. Honor shifted as he lowered to the ground for another bite. His left leg locked at the knee, and Honor fed weight to it by instinct. The quick sharpness of the pain caught him off guard, and his head bounced up from the ground. He reset himself and shook his head, his schizoid mane flapping. He pounded his knee back into position, locked it, and again, softer this time, lowered his head. Honor stood on all four legs. Perhaps it was more skeletal than muscular. Perhaps the mechanical nature of a horse's bones worked in his favor. Or maybe he was just tired of catering to pain. Whatever the case, Honor ate despite his disposition and was happy. You have to walk him, get the blood flowing, Missy said, accompanied by a waist-up caricature of crappy dancing. Wait, 
How do we do that? Like this. She repeated the awkward upper body shimmy. How is that? Like the... Walk your stupid horse. <laughs> Cute. Honor favored his one side as we wandered around the paddock. Red-orange fluid dripped from his chest onto the ground. White, pus-infused flesh shook with every limped step. Missy stood beside Ned and watched as we covered slow ground, one agonizing step after the next. Two weeks had passed since Honor buried a foot of iron T-post in his chest. Honor hurt. Every step attempted to seduce him with the pleasantness of standing still. Every step reminded his brain that pain-free is better. But Honor no longer dragged his leg. He pushed it. I stopped leading Honor. Instead, we hobbled around the paddock together. May turned to June and June to July. The summer scorched the ground as it had the year prior, and Honor tossed in his stall between walking sessions. Two months after impaling his chest, and Honor enjoyed free roam time in the middle paddock to limp along at his leisure, but still required confinement to allow his muscles to heal. The wound itself had closed shut, leaving a three-pronged scar embedded between two distanced and misshapen pectorals. Aside from his left pectoral's awful size disparity, because of the scar's location, the wound was almost unperceivable. Upon inspection, however, the injury felt as serious as it was. Nothing but scar tissue lay beneath the three-line starburst. No muscle, no connective tissue, just hairless, thick skin, and a deep ravine where muscle once flourished. But Honor's limp subsided over the month of June, to the point it was only noticeable when he forgot the injury and tried anything beyond a slow walk. Regardless, Honor favored the leg, and the muscle showed no signs of functionality. He's starting to get lazy. How so? Well, he did really well to start putting weight on the leg and not just drag it around. But now that he can limp around the yard, he's just sort of stagnant. He's comfortable with it. Then he tries to trot or get spooked or whatever, and he ends up tripping all over himself. I think it's about time Fatty hit the gym. Do they make equine chest fly machines or horsey dumbbells? Nah, it's more like pony crossfit. No. Because then he's going to change his name to Brad, start using Axe body spray, and will never shut the fuck up about his wads. Besides, we don't even own a five-pound weight he can throw around a thousand times. She laughed. Don't worry, I won't be building any plyo boxes and we won't be purchasing any cube memberships. It's actually pretty simple. I'll show you. Missy led me to the east side of the barn near the round pin. A pile of cross rails lay against the barn wall. One by one, she picked up a pole and dropped it on the ground, each parallel to the next, making a path of railroad ties. So what's this for? Is he going to be like running football shuttle drills or what? No, he's going to walk over them. Right. So... Okay. That's it. He's going to walk over them. She wiggled her index and middle finger back and forth, illustrating legs walking. I guess I just don't see where he feels the burn in this gym session. Baby steps, Finley. So I see. Well, get to it, Watson. The derby won't win itself. 
Honor dragged his leg over the top of the rail, rolling it along the ground before tripping over it. Missy walked him by hand back and forth. Honor's ears spun as pain seeped out of his pores in a salty sheen. Oh, I know, Honor guy, but we have to start somewhere. You know what he needs? A montage. Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you gotta hang tough to make it. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The two paced across the wooden poles, forcing Honor to employ his emaciated left chest. The miserable sight erased any expectation of Honor ever carrying a saddle or a rider. Yet, the beast trudged on without urging and without need of reinforcement. While his eyes and ears struggled with the concentration and physical effort, Honor's feet stepped forward. When you're the one left standing there, you've reached the final bed. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. Day after day, the pitiful, grueling therapy continued. Sometimes the poles were closer together, other times farther apart. Sometimes Missy spaced them randomly. After a week, Honor stopped hopping over the poles. After two weeks, Honor stopped kicking the poles. At three weeks, Honor trotted during his free time in the paddock, tossing his head, tripping less and less, and throwing out his rear end with awkward kicks. Though still utterly lame and unrideable, it was easy to see he was happier. A lame horse will brag about his three good legs. Every day his left hoof lifted just a little higher over the rails. Every day his chest grew just a little more. After a month of work, Honor walked without a limp. He trotted now with subtle favoritism to the left, but he did trot. He rarely stuttered or tripped. Until until he tried running. Yeah, you heard that right. And it went as well as you're picturing it. Don't do it. Stop running! Seriously, stop! Sugar egged him on, pushing him to compete for the grain bucket. The two charged around the paddock with Honor cartwheeling every 50 meters or so, and every time he attempted to slow or stop, he'd Pete Rose head first into the dirt and then roll over his shoulders on his way back to his feet. Once back upright, he would pin his ears and begin to buck in frustration. For hours this went on. He would growl and toss his head, foaming with sweat. 
It was terrifying. By this point, his therapy sessions became academic, as he spent the majority of his time in the front paddock killing Sod in protest of his injury. He burned like the Hindenburg. Missy and I cringed as we watched him test the limitation of his mangled body, and even debated whether it was safe to allow him the freedom of the paddock. The way his front left leg jerked and jarred, trying to slow him down, sent shivers through our spines every time he challenged the fence. But how do you recork the Hindenburg? But we were the only ones worrying. Honor had business to attend to. Missy began tacking him up in mid-July for their physical therapy sessions. Now, however, she began to introduce Honor to miniature jumps, encouraging him to lift his revitalized leg even farther. Though still favored, the leg never failed. June 23, 2011. An abandoned colt numbered 5752 stood alone in a dark stall at a slaughter auction spared by an ignorant, fearful man for a hundred bucks. May 12, 2012, Honor impales his chest on 12 inches of iron T-post, shredding his pectoral muscle, connective tissue, and the left brachial artery, hemorrhaging in excess of five gallons of blood in 48 hours. He should never have had a chance. He should have been dead three times. He should have been crippled for life. July 18th, 2012, two months and a week after his injury, Missy put her helmet on. I can't explain it, and I don't think I want to try. At the end of the day, who really gives a shit, right? Her eyes twinkled in the blistering sun. Her birthday had been the day prior, and I bought her a whole new assortment of flashy red and black tack, her competition colors. Apparently, today was as good a day as any to try it out. You just gonna walk him around? Nope. We're going to do his railroad and we're gonna work. He wants to work, so he's going to sweat. And so are we. God, the air's on fire. She wiped the streaming July sweat from under her helmet brim with a gloved hand. Honor stood in hand, eager expression on his eyes and pricked ears. Are you sure? It's been like two months since this dude had a freaking metal rod buried in his chest. Sure you don't want to wait a little bit longer? I pointed at the three lines of starburst scar on Honor's chest. His go isn't the problem. His stop is. Look at it this way. I tire him out under controlled circumstances, and he doesn't go blasting around the field like a crazy man with no brakes. Consider this preventative maintenance. She buckled her helmet. Changing Missy's mind is like pushing a battleship sideways. Will you take a picture of us? She stood to his right, and as if on cue, Honor lowered his head, curious and happy, and cheesed with her. The bright red of his new tack ornamented his lower legs, face, back, and hooves. His hooves. The red foam boots wrapped around his front hooves. Sunlight beamed through the oak leaves, splashing vivid flickers of brilliant red on his boots. The darkened, sickly red that had painted his front hooves two months before, was now a shadow 
a literal shadow. Honor held his pose, not looking at the camera, but instead at me. Honor continued his stare as Missy climbed aboard, his ears locked on me. Missy situated atop him as I took another picture. Honor continued his stare. Or was it a glare? He stood before me as he had so many other times. But now as the sun sprinkled through the trees and onto his face, he questioned me. Dared me with burning eyes propped up by four strong pillars. And that glare boiled ferocity that Missy couldn't see from her perspective. Then again, this wasn't hers to see. I saw a horse with a chest forever marred, branded skin cloaking a sunken and disfigured injury. I saw a creature once agonized by both physical and non-physical pain, with every reason to be bitter and fearful. I saw a creature whose past brought him to a choice, flee or fight. I remembered a dead horse rising from blood-soaked ground in defiance. There Honor stood, under saddle, confident and comfortable, glaring, same as he did from the auction house floor to my corner of the stands. He should have been dead three times. He understood death in ways even I didn't. He had every reason to quit, every justification and sympathy for a ruined life. But I didn't see a dead or ruined horse. I didn't see what science and reason said I should see. I didn't see a flight animal. I saw the fighter. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trait. And he carries the reminder of every glove that laid him down and caught him till he cried out. In his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leaving. It's Memorial Day 2021. This is far and away the most sacred day for me for obvious reasons. In substitute for a veterans program this episode, I'm going to share with you an idea that I've held for years now. There's a tension between civilians and veterans surrounding Memorial Day. Veterans often feel slighted because civilians sometimes see Memorial Day as National Barbecue Day or the Great American Summer Kickoff. On the civilian side, there's a confusion of how to approach a veteran on this day. What do you say? Please consider the perspective of this crusty old former honor guard. For the civilians, I have an Instagram post titled, quote, what do I say? That is on the website on the prologue page. If you want to say something meaningful to a veteran on Memorial Day, don't thank them for their service. Say, I'm glad you're here. 
After years of thinking deeply on the matter, I really can't fathom a more poignant and more meaningful thing to say that a veteran would appreciate. As for the weekend itself, go live. Live fierce. If barbecue in the lake with your family is your flavor of fierce, then do it. Go do the things that stir your passions and appreciations for freedom. Go party. Go ride a horse. Go race a car. Go climb a mountain. Go nuts. Laugh hard. Drink with friends. Live fierce. For the veterans, live fierce. Stop by the cemetery to say hello and update your friends on what the year has brought you. Share your triumphs and trials. Let them know you miss them. And then take them with you and live fierce. Do all the things listed above and do it with their memory. And if a civilian says, thank you for your service, you nod, say it's your pleasure, and then politely remind them this weekend to go live fierce for your brothers and sisters who couldn't. And to all, live a life worth the sacrifice. A reminder, if you know someone who needs this story, please share it with them. Be sure to stop by the Patreon page and thank our talented actors for their creative efforts that make this story come to life. As always, feel free to reach out to me on social media with questions or comments and leave a written review for the podcast. And for Captain Ripito and all my men in Section 60, it's been a good year, gentlemen. Thanks for living it with me. I'm Tim Finley. This is To Live With Honor. Live fierce. This all ends. <laughs> <laughs>